Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm joined today by University of Michigan's own Bo Sandoval. He is the men's lacrosse track and field cross country coach, strength and conditioning coach. He has his uh, master's and bachelor's in sports administration and exercise science from the um, University of Southern Mississippi. I know you're going to get some pretty elite level stuff because that's what he does. So, Bo, welcome to the show, sir. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Like I said, you're on the University of Michigan. Everybody who, who hears that is going to know exactly what kind of um, sports they're dealing with. And obviously behind each great athlete is a very good strength and conditioning program. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you get started and your, your journey to University of Michigan. Sure, sure. Um <clears throat> well, I uh, I did my undergrad at the University of Southern Mississippi, and starting out uh, did not, like a lot of college freshmen, didn't really have an understanding exactly what I wanted to do for a living. Um, I, I got an on-campus job uh, uh, cutting grass, actually, out the softball and baseball fields, and uh, got approached by a softball coach who asked me about being an equipment manager, and so I thought that might be a fun way to make an hourly wage. Uh, so I, I did that, and about three weeks on the job, I started noticing the team going down to the weight room to uh, to train. And so I asked the coach if I could start kind of tagging along and observing, and and they said, yeah, no problem. So that eventually turned into me bugging the strength coach and asking for some opportunities to volunteer and observe, and uh, which they did. And I ended up interning with that staff there uh, throughout my my four years of college. Uh, or my four years of undergrad, they, and then they were gracious enough to um, offer me a graduate assistant position, and I got my graduate degree um, in the health and, and human performance department there at uh, Southern Miss. And uh, from there, I, I took a job, uh, 24 years old, right out of the gate, uh, first ever strength and conditioning coach at an NAIA Presbyterian school in Jackson, Mississippi. So I was by myself with 14 sports, which is a an awesome place to cut your teeth on. You, you learn a lot of lessons uh, in those years. So uh, I did that for about three years before getting picked up by the United States Olympic Committee uh, in 2007 and worked primarily with acrobat and combat sports um, with uh, the USOC, so wrestling, boxing, taekwondo, judo, uh, and fencing, as well as women's indoor volleyball. And I also had a handful of select um endurance athletes from track and field, mostly marathoners. Um, so, And then from there, a colleague of mine got the opportunity to start the Olympic Sports Strength and Conditioning Department, a formal department, at the University of Michigan in 2009, and, and I jumped along with them to kind of help build that program. So we are in the middle of our eighth year now and developing that. Um, essentially, in the beginning, servicing about 14 of their 30 sports, and now fully servicing all 31 now of our, our current athletics programs outside of football. 
um, as well as uh, growing our staff from about three at the time with two grad students to 11 full-time positions, uh, two graduate students, two fellowship positions, and an intern, uh, an intern program that that shuffles through anywhere from four to six interns per semester. So, grown quite a oh, bit, and, and oh. that's where we're at now. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so basically you have a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of all kinds of time. Yeah, right. So, take us back to that NAIA school. What was that like? If you're just setting up the first strength and conditioning program that they've ever had. Um, I tell you, I had a lot of great advice going into that. I was scared to death because I'm like, wow, I didn't anticipate, you know, my first role. I'm in a directive department. And so the nice thing that was, it was a department on training wheels. Uh, they had a facility that someone had donated. They'd never really had uh, a strength coach dedicated to all of their, at the time, 14 sports that they had. Um, and so this was a new adventure for everyone. And I had some great advice from some of my mentors to use it as an opportunity to really get coaches interested in using a professional to handle those responsibility responsibilities versus taking them on themselves. And we did, we had a lot of that, our baseball coach, our softball coach, our basketball coaches, they did all their own strength and conditioning. They just didn't have that resource. So, um, it didn't take very long to, to pawn them off on the idea like, hey, this is an extra responsibility that you don't have to do. I'll actually do this for you. We can sit down and we can put together a plan um, and address the needs that you feel are important for your program, and, and we'll move forward that way. And so we started out very small. I tried to keep things really simple. Uh, I didn't want to overstretch myself, which I was highly encouraged to be weary of with taking that position. So, um, right. you know, we took our time and we built it little by little. Uh, my first three months on the job, I didn't train anyone. It was during the summer. I repainted the entire weight room. Uh, the floor hadn't been cleaned in the three years that it had existed because there was no management for it. So every now and then the custodial crews will come down and do a wipe down. But other than that, there wasn't a formal regiment for maintaining that facility. So uh, I moved all the equipment out of it myself. It was about a 4,500-square-foot facility. I moved all the equipment out of it. Oh, and, my uh, cleaned it all, painted it all. Uh, there was no office, so I actually, through some of my my trades growing up as a kid, uh, I uh, I did a little bit of masonry. I did a little bit of window work, so I built an office inside. I used cinder blocks, and uh, one of my formal one of my former employers in college, I used to work for a glass shop doing windshield repairs. Uh, he was nice enough to donate me some windows to stick in the office and uh, a window door. So I made an office and, and actually was able to, to get some constructive work done in there. So it was a great time for me to learn about just hustling, about really being yeah. a service provider. And, and, you know, athletes need this. How are we going to get them this? And I really just had the attitude at that time to not, to not let anything keep me from getting that done for those student athletes. And that was a really, you know, for me, I used it as an opportunity to start building my brand. Um, and so you build your brand by athlete rapport and coach rapport. And that's what I, you know, that was one of my biggest goals when I was there. That's awesome. And if this whole uh, coaching thing doesn't work out, though, you can always go back to masonry, right? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Definitely had my, uh, my share of fun, uh, hourly wage jobs growing up as a kid. So they, they yeah, ended man. up all paying off at some point. Definitely. That puts some, uh, some work behind it all too. You're not afraid to work. So it's, so going from, from that, how did you develop your philosophy? Because you don't have like the traditional background of someone who goes into strength, strength and conditioning. 
You know, I, I attribute a lot of what I've done to, to two really influential uh, professional mentors in my career. Um, and, and one of them in the beginning being the, the, the strength staff that was at Southern Mississippi at the time. They were really great about advising me on just trying to figure out what was going to be important for me and what was going to be important for what I wanted to get done. And so um, that question always comes up. It even comes up in the hiring process these days. People are, you know, what's your philosophy? What, you know, what's your, what's your training philosophy? What's your program philosophy, your department philosophy? And really, for me, a philosophy, you know, a lot of times when you ask that question, people immediately start throwing out methodologies or they throw out a system uh, that they're familiar with. And for me, philosophy is bigger than that. It's more of a, it's a, the grassroots of it has to be kind of what, you know, what's, what's the basis of everything that you do. And for me, it's being a great service provider. And so, um, being a great service provider means, you know, avoiding saying no, trying to find problems to solutions, uh, without being a yes man and, and really being constructive using evidence-based approaches to solving those problems and evidence-based approaches to helping those coaches and athletes achieve their goals. I mean, that's, and really that could be a, that could be a philosophy for anything. That could be a philosophy for a vendor or for um, an administrator or for an academic support specialist. I mean, it, that philosophy can span anywhere. Now, what makes it unique to me is my education and my background in, in exercise science and and all of the practical hours developing a skill set for strength and, for strength and conditioning, but that's not a philosophy. Those are just tools. Those are tools in my toolbox. The philosophy is right. I'm going to do whatever I can to help. So when when these kids come into the room and they get into the weight room for the first time, how do how does all that that you just explained how does all that get addressed to them? How do they get introduced to them? Well, I think the first thing is. The first time they come into the weight room is usually during a recruiting visit for me right now with this scenario that I'm in. And so first off, most of the time I'm talking to their parents more than I'm talking to them. Um, the kids, right. you know, at that point, unless they're just, you know, your weight room warriors, they're not always, they're not always, just because they throw really nice fastballs doesn't mean they're super interested in, in the resistance training portion. So a lot of my time is spent with the parents and getting the parents to understand what I'm there for, how they can use me as a resource, and then also to start to build some rapport with the kids. If mom and dad think that, you know, this guy knows what he's doing, then uh, the kid's going to have a better idea of, of being around someone that knows what they're doing. So um, it starts right there. And then it also helps me get familiar with them. I know where they're coming from. I know where they went to high school. I know where they grew up. Are they a white-collar family, a blue-collar family? Um is this a kid that spent the summer times playing in multiple pickup leagues, or is this a kid that spent the summertime studying abroad? That tells me a lot about where they're coming from. So that helps with the approach when we do actually get in a training scenario. And for some, the approach is very aggressive because that's what they respond to. For others, the approach is very conservative um, because they're in they're in information overload to begin with. So you kind of have to have a little bit of empathy on. Uh, or at least show a little bit of empathy and understanding that they're also getting bombarded with the Michigan academic experience, which is one hell of a thing. Um, and then not to mention um, all the, the other things that fall into life at that age, 18 to 22 years old when they get here. So for me, it's a slow cook process. I, I don't rush yeah. into it. Uh, I'm not concerned with getting outstanding testing numbers in the first six weeks that they're here. Because I know that through a quality experience, I'm going to have four years, maybe five, to really develop a relationship and develop a training culture for this one particular kid, which is a small piece to the, 
you know, 780 uh, athlete student body population that we have. So you going back to the parents, you mentioned uh, you know, the parents were probably, I've talked to a couple other strength conditioning coaches that say the same thing. Do you get the parents bought into what you're doing? It's almost like you have an assistant coach on your side at all times. It's not so much as always getting them bought into what we're doing as much as showing them that my kid is in someone's hands that cares. My kid's in someone's yeah. hands that I don't have to I don't have to check and make sure they're in a safe environment. I don't have to check and make sure that they're around someone that's accredited, um, someone that has a history of training knowledge. You know, they, they see that. And we don't just showcase ourselves. We showcase our entire department. I make sure they see what my teammates' backgrounds look like and what my boss's background looks like and what, you know, what the entire Michigan experience is going to look like in a whole. We we try to present this holistic approach because that's what we live. Um, you know, when I speak, my my when I speak to their parents, it's in conjunction with our medical staff, and it's in conjunction with our nutrition staff, and it's in conjunction with our academic staff. Um, uh-huh. Because for us, that's realistic. That's who we interact with on a daily basis. If a kid needs to change a training session because they got an exam thrown at them, uh, an exam change thrown at them last minute, our academic counselor calls me up and makes sure that I know, and then we make changes accordingly. Or if a kid is going through um, – you know, we've discovered there's some sort of caloric deficit and our nutritionist is changing up what they're doing from a, a recovery strategy fueling uh, plan that they let me know that because, you know, typically we don't let kids eat in the weight room. But if this kid's bringing snacks to have right after the workout, they let me know that so I have an understanding of what's going on. So it is a holistic yeah. approach. And once the parents see that, they're more interested in that. What is the experience? Not so much what are the X's and O's of training look like every day. Because at that point, then they trust you as a professional that those X's and O's are going to be appropriate. You know, the other testament of that is, does the kid become a better player? I mean, right. that, that's really, that's the testament. So, um, and I won't be the one to say, you know, they're a better player because they come through my training. They're, they end up being a better player because of the overall Michigan experience. And so that's, you know, that's usually the best measuring stick. And, you know, our failure rate is not very, it's not very high. So we use that quite a bit in terms of kids being successful while they're here, whether it's on the field or off the field. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we portray that to be one of our most important uh, functions here, and that's because it's absolutely true. Well, and the off the field part is in direct conjunction with what you guys do on the field and in the weight room, too. I mean, you're building that person's character, and if they're, you know, if they're working at University of Michigan, you probably already assume that they have pretty good character. You hopefully, hopefully they have pretty good character to begin with at the high school level. And then when you get into a program like Michigan, it's going to be a step up, right? There's going to be more expectations. There's going to be, this is what we demand of you. This is what we expect. And in turn, those older players will probably pass that down to the people coming in, the younger guys coming up, or the younger women coming up. And and that's a a big circle that keeps on going there, right? Yeah, it's it's absolutely a cultural thing. um, Yeah. That culture starts from when, you know, I hate to say it, but this day and age, recruits are stepping on our campus in the eighth grade now. And so uh, it, it's a challenge for us. I'm like, what do you talk to an eighth grader about? Our, you know, our our topics of interest aren't even on the same planet. So Pokemon um, Go. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, but that's when you're getting them, and that's where you have to kind of start giving them an understanding of what that culture is like so that they can have an opportunity to prepare for it while they're in high school. Um, and we yeah, don't do that solely. We send that message as a part of a group with our coaching staffs, with our, our academic support team, with our counselors, with, right. you know, every member of the team is kind of pitching that at them as well. 
Yeah, because if a student is lucky enough to get to the college, the collegiate level, to play at that level, then especially Big Ten, I mean, seeing it coming in at that age is going to be overwhelming enough. But, you know, if a student is that great at a sport and they have something to look forward and to achieve, then, I mean, if they're lucky enough to go to a place like that and they get a taste at such a young age and they know what's expected, they know what it's going to take to get there, then, I mean, yeah, you said you hate to say it, and it might sound kind of extreme, but the ones with real talent, the ones that will excel, I mean, that's what, I guess that's what it takes now. It, it, is inde- it is indeed a competition. There's no question about that. And, you know, when they get to this level, they're, they're, they may be at the bottom of the food chain, but, you know, uh, depending on how they handle it and depending on how well they use their resources, some climb to the top of that food chain pretty quick. Others hover in the middle and, and some stay at the bottom. But the idea is that culturally you find them a place to fit in. They still contribute something, right. uh, even though they're not, you know, your star player that's, that's scoring most of your buckets on a Saturday night. They, you know, they have a contribution elsewhere. Now, Michigan does particular, and I'll toot our horn a little bit, does a really good job of that with a few different programs in terms of getting them involved with things more than just their sport. So things inside the athletics department, but also things um, within our community here at the University of Michigan. So community outreach programs. And then there are also programs set up to start getting them to infiltrate their industries, whatever that might be. Uh, so that when they leave here, they have a path in terms of attacking that industry and where they want to work, what they want to do for a living. There's a whole program set up for them there. So um, while they may not be the star on the field, they figure out where you know where they are a star and give them the resources they need to start being successful in that fashion as well. Unfortunately, That's they excellent. only hand out so many All Americans. You know. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, everybody knows that. If you're lucky enough to play college sports, you have to be even luckier to go on to play, keep playing that afterwards. For a athletic program to just think that, you know, we can just let these kids go along the way and not develop them on the other side of things, I mean, that'd just be kind of neglectful. So that's, that's I mean, you should toot your horn about that. That's something that people should understand and look up to and know that not everybody's going to go on beyond that, but they can excel in other ways. And again, having the sports and conditioning program back that, that's pretty important. Sure. Uh, what other kind of programs do you guys have, have going on over there? What uh, what are you working on right now? Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, in terms of strength and conditioning, one of, one of our biggest, and it's a struggle across NCAA, is really formulating a, a high-performance plan that, fits your scenario every NCAA institution it doesn't matter if you're all in the Big Ten together or you're looking across different conferences even outside the Power Five conferences everyone's scenario is totally different so when you look at international sport you look at the formulation of a high performance plan and a high performance team it can look it can tend to look very uniform because those are private entities they're dealing with one discipline of sport um, and the the pipeline of development and the pipeline of professionals is very streamlined Whereas when you're dealing with 31 different sports, which is essentially 31 different institutions within our department, um, things can get a little bit scattered. So we're we're like a, like many NCAA institutions, we're in the process of really dialing in our high performance plan and program in terms of how we allocate resources for strength and conditioning, nutrition, athletic medicine, uh, rehabilitation, physical therapy. Um, uh, academic success, psychology, 
Um, and we're, we're really in the process of unifying all of those things right now. And some of that has to do with logistics. And we are currently in the middle of a couple of different project builds that are going to dramatically streamline our logistics. Because to be able to give an athlete in the NCAA realm access to all those resources, it takes time. Well, a time is something that we're regulated on in the NCAA. So if you're going to do it effectively, you have to be able to streamline that time. And so the best way to do it is to try to put things in these facilities where uh, it's convenient to where it fits into their schedule, to where it fits in with training. So training is still conducive for, for progress. Um, and so that's a struggle because it takes money and it takes great personnel and it takes a willingness from the athletics department. It takes a willingness from the sport coaches. And so that's something that we're, in, we're heavy in the process of right now. We have two facility build projects going on. Um, that will essentially serve to uh, enhance those resources that we're already giving in a very spread out and kind of a logistical nightmare of a fashion. And it's going to help us streamline that so that we can essentially take less time of the athlete. You know, we, we talk all the time about, you know, everybody's got 20 hours a week to work. And we haven't met an opponent yet that doesn't work hard. Everybody works hard on this level. There's not a, right. there's no, right. there's not a big 10 team out there that's just giving it a, uh, a semi effort. So, um, the key is what are you doing outside those 20 hours? That's the key. So who is best schooled on recovery practices and executing those recovery practices? Who's best schooled on nutrition for recovery and nutrition for fueling and who can best implement those practices for fueling and recovery? So those are where, you know, you can be most impactful these days. Um, flat out and, you know, some people say it's a generational thing, but, we still had these problems back whenever I was a kid. There's not a lot of kids that go to college, they know how to cook a balanced meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Or they know how to prepare snacks. They know how to manage macronutrients throughout the day. They know how to unwind and go through a relaxation program to get ready to go to sleep. They don't, they don't do that. They don't operate that way. Um, and so education pieces on those fronts and ways to streamline those things so that you can maximize recovery between training bouts and practice days and competition days. That's really what we end up competing at most these days because everyone works hard and everyone trains hard. 30 years ago, not everybody had a strength coach. Now, I mean, there's hard, it's hard to find a high school that doesn't have a strength coach. Uh, I know there's still some out there and, and small colleges out there that still fend for themselves but it's sure. much less prevalent than what it was 25 years ago. Hopefully you start seeing more of the smaller colleges and, and the high school start to implement that because it can't all be done in one sitting with those kids. And it's got to, it's got to take on a life of its own uh, on the outside of the gym. So, Yeah, um, all my right? all my sport coach buddies that might be listening are probably going to hate it. But, you know, it really boils down to coaches prioritizing what's important. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And I can't say I'm a, from a long time practitioner. I'll do this till the, till the day I retire. Um, but strength and conditioning is not always the most important attribute. And, and so sometimes, you know, we're, we're allocating funds for weight rooms when we don't have dining halls or we're allocating funds for, um, you know, a, you know, a one-on-one -on -one massage session when a kid's not eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse in a lot of, in a lot of matters. And so once coaches prioritize what's important, um, then it makes that process a lot easier all the way down into the high school level. Yeah. And, you know, even if you do catch some flack for that, it's not that, it's not like it's not the truth, you know? So, I mean, somebody's yep. got to say it and somebody has, somebody has to implement those kind of things. 
for everything to be brought to the front because you're right. There's so many different things that could be going on. You know, kids shouldn't have to worry about if they're going to have a decent meal at school or where they're going to eat that de- decent meal. The thank God they have the best weight room in the in the county. Right. right. I mean, that's that the one, like you said, cart, cart before the horse. So, well, coach, I, I appreciate you taking the time to spread a bunch of knowledge and let everybody know what you guys are working on. Um, I hope that people take it to heart and they and they put it into practice. Any uh, any final words before I let you off the hook? Uh, the only thing that I would say is that uh, we have a big fat welcome mat here at the University of Michigan. If anybody <laughs> is ever in our area and they want to come and visit and take a look at our strength department, uh, particularly on the Olympic sports side of things, they're more than welcome to. Um, we uh, we try to be as, as helpful in the industry as we can. So if you're in Ann Arbor, come pay us a visit. All right. All right, Coach. Well, I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Eric.